Welcome to another episode of our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Visit our website for complete collections of your favorite old-time radio series. Remember to follow us so you won't miss new releases from SolvedMystery.com. of the little boy who was carrying an even smaller boy up a hill. Someone stopped him and asked whether the burden was not too much for him. This isn't a burden, he replied. It's my brother. That was the sort of reply that Patrick Staunton might have given had anyone ever asked whether the weight of his brother's responsibilities was not sometimes too heavy for him to bear. The love that Patrick Staunton bore his younger brother Louis was something quite out of the ordinary, and it involved them both in a case that was also quite out of the ordinary. I want to tell you about it today. Few people can find anything good to say about a murderer. And yet most criminals have some virtue. It's just that it can't be seen for surrounding vices. For instance, there was a charm about Neville Heath. There was gentleness in Dr. Crippen. There was a sense of humor in Charlie Peace. There was a great deal of brotherly love in Patrick and Louis Staunton. It was the one quality which was constant in their approach to any person or any problem. It remained constant throughout their dealings in one of the most horrifying cases of the last century, the case of the brothers Staunton. It all happened in Kent around the year 1876. Yes, the lovely old village of Cadham in Kent was for a short time spotlighted in the blaze of publicity surrounding the two brothers who lived there. Now, although Patrick Staunton was two years older than his brother Louis, he had nothing but admiration for him, while Louis, in his turn, regarded his older brother with something very near to hero worship. Both extremely good-looking lads, they'd been inseparable throughout their school days. The fact that Patrick became an artist, while Louis preferred the life of an auctioneer's clerk, did nothing to separate these two. Nor did their bonds of affection slacken in the slightest when Patrick, now 26, decided to get married to a girl named Elizabeth Rhodes. You know, Louis, I've always thought that one of the nicest things about my going around with Elizabeth was that you were going around with her sister. Yes, Pat, we make a good foursome. Two brothers in love with two sisters. I'll never be able to thank you enough for introducing me to Alice. You are in love with her, aren't you? Well, I certainly like her a great deal. I wouldn't say that I was head over heels in love, as you are with Liz. Then I haven't such a fiery temperament, have I? <laughs> Otherwise, I might have been a painter as well. Louis, 
I'm going to marry Liz. Pat, why didn't you say so immediately? <laughs> Congratulations, my dear old boy. Where is she? This is something to celebrate. Now, just a minute, eh? There's something I'd like to talk to you about first. I know what it is. This house, eh? Well, of course, you must have it, Pat. There certainly isn't room here for the three of us. I tell you what, Pat. What do you think of this for an idea? I'll go and live in Cherry Cottage. Then I'll only be a hundred yards away from you. That's a grand idea. Wait a bit, though. We've got enough money. They're asking quite a lot for it, you know. Well, we have between us. Would you lend me a bit just for the time oh, being? I need you ask. Of course I will. Now, what about this celebration? I mean, it wasn't about the house I want to speak to you. You see, I was thinking about you and Alice. Well, what about us, old man? Well, I'm marrying Liz. And I was hoping that you might want to marry her sister. I mean, we, we four get on so well together, don't we? I know what you mean, Pat. It would be a grand arrangement. But at present, I, I have other ideas about a wife. Well, I rather felt that Alice was expecting a proposal for you any day now. Look here, Pat, old man. Alice will be the last woman in the world to marry me in my present financial position. She made it quite plain to me that the only way I can hope to keep her with me is to earn, or acquire, enough money to make her very comfortable. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. I suppose that means you have to wait some time. I'm not so sure. I've been working on the problem, and I hope that within a fortnight, I'll be able to announce to you my engagement. You don't quite follow all this. You just said that Alice... Forget Alice. The name of the young lady I hope to make Mrs. Staunton is Harriet. What? Not Harriet Richardson. The very same. 22 years of age, good background, plain as a pudding. Agreed. As plain as a pudding. But a very rich pudding. She has 4,000 pounds in the bank. I see. Are you in love with her? Madly. And if she hadn't any money, who knows? Perhaps I wouldn't have noticed her charms. <laughs> I always said you'd turn into a first-rate scoundrel. Well, no one knows me better than you do, Pat. <laughs> Staunton's wedding went ahead without a hitch, but young Louis's engagement did not go quite so smoothly. The young lady in question, Harriet Richardson, was indeed extremely plain, nor did she make up for her physical deficiencies with any outstanding mental qualities. No one knew this better than her mother, Mrs. Richardson, and she was naturally suspicious when the dashing young Louis Staunton came to ask her for her daughter's hand. I find it rather difficult to believe, Mr. Staunton that after such a short acquaintance with my daughter, that you should be so infatuated. Your daughter, madam, is to my mind the most desirable of companions. I'm happy to think that she returns my affection. Oh, yes. I, I know Harriet is madly in love with you. But then, frankly, there have not been many young men who have paid her the attention that you have. I cannot for the life of me think why not, Mrs. Richardson. Come now, Mr. Staunton. Let us come out into the open. We are both aware that Harriet is, well, not pretty. Physical attraction has never meant very much to me. I wouldn't say that Harriet was particularly bright either. There I would venture to disagree. In fact, the only real attraction she would seem to offer a good-looking young man such as yourself is her money. Money, Mrs. Richardson? You didn't know about her money, I suppose. I believe Harriet did mention a small amount in the bank, but I hope you're not suggesting... I am suggesting, Mr. Staunton. And I warn you that I shall do everything in my power to stop you marrying my daughter. Just because I realize her defects doesn't mean that I don't love her, you know. Her welfare is the most important thing in the world to me. If and when she marries, I want her husband to be someone who will love her for her many excellent qualities, not for her bank account. Good day, Mr. Staunton.
But in spite of all Mrs. Richardson's efforts to prevent it, the marriage between Harriet and Louis eventually took place. The bride's mother did not attend. So now the two brothers were both married. And although Louis no longer lived in Patrick's house, he was not far away, and the two couples saw much of each other. It was about six months after Louis's wedding that he took to coming to his brother's house almost every evening without Harriet. And it wasn't entirely coincidence that his former sweetheart, Alice Rhodes, was staying with her sister, Mrs. Patrick Staunton. Ah, oh, come in, Louis. We're expecting you. Harriet, not with you? No, I left her at the cottage. Phew, it must be all of six inches of snow on the ground. Now, go in by the fire. I'll hang your coat up. Oh, there's someone inside who'd be glad to see you. It's the best part of the day when I can come over here and see you all. <laughs> Listen, I don't fool myself, but it's us you come to visit. Does Harriet know about you and Alice? Well, I, I told her that I knew, knew her before I married. What are you doing, my dear Pat? Bring Louis in here by the fire. He must be frozen. Coming, my dear. Good evening, Liz. Hello, Alice. Hello, Louis. Come over here by the fire, Louis. Unless you'd like to sit there with Alice. Yes, thanks. I, I think I'll sit here. Harriet stayed back at the cottage, I suppose. Yes, she had a bit of a headache. She wanted to be left alone, and to tell you the truth, I, I was quite happy to leave her. She's rather trying when she's not well. Poor Louis. I shouldn't think she's the most considerate of wives. I wish I'd never married her. You didn't exactly hope for companionship from her, did you, Louis? <sighs> of course I didn't. But I never realized she'd be as maddening as this. Poor Louis. You should have married me, after all. I think we ought to leave these two together, don't you, Pat? Yes, perhaps it would be a good idea. I want to turn in early. Hey, I'll see you tomorrow, Louis. Look, I, I don't want to disturb you like Nonsense. this. Nonsense! You haven't much chance of seeing Alice nowadays. And I know she'd like a good talk with you. Good night, both of you. Coming, Pat? Right, Irma, dear. I'm glad they've left us alone, Louis. Alice, I wish we could be together more often. It's so stupid. All I married Harriet for was the money that could make you happy. And now we can't be together to share it. Oh, I nearly forgot. I bought this for you. It's a gold watch. Oh, Louis, you darling. Oh, what a beautiful thing it is. With my name on the back as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Alice, I'm going over to Bromley tomorrow for the day. Harriet won't be coming. Will you come with me? Louis, I'd love to. Will you buy me some clothes? I'll buy you whatever you want. What else is money for? There were many little expeditions to Brumley and other places in the weeks to come. Alice Rhodes' name came to be linked with that of Louis Staunton whenever the village gossips met. And inevitably the rumors came to the ears of Mrs. Richardson, who didn't know where her daughter was and naturally was extremely worried. You see, Harriet had made it clear when she left her mother that she never wished to see her again, and for months there had been no word of the girl. But now, hearing of the behavior of her son-in-law, Mrs. Richardson made a personal visit to his brother Patrick, whom she knew to be living in the village of Cullum. She was not, however, prepared for the reception that Patrick gave her. Yes? Mr. Patrick Staunton. That's right. What is it you want, please? I'm out in the middle of a painting. I don't like being disturbed. I wanted to have a talk with you about your brother, who is married to my youngest daughter, Harriet. Oh, you are Mrs. Richardson? Yes. Uh, could you tell me something about them? I've had no word for over seven months. I, I don't even know where they live. And why should you want to know about them after the way you treated them at the time of the marriage? Perhaps I was a bit hasty. Nevertheless, I'm very concerned yes, about Harriet. very concerned indeed. When well, all you've done is to try to cause her misery. 
Let me tell you, madam, that your daughter has made a very good marriage. My brother Louis has made her far happier than she was from living at your home. And while I stand up, you will not be allowed to come between them again. You are being most insolent, Mr. Staunton. I have just assured you that I am anxious only for Harriet's welfare. Surely you can't refuse her mother her address. I surely can, madam. I surely do. Goodbye. But Mrs. Richardson was not to be put off so easily. Thoroughly concerned about her daughter, she renewed her inquiries in the village of Cudham and finally discovered that Harriet and Louis were living in Cherry Cottage, not a hundred yards from the house she had just visited. To Cherry Cottage, she went without delay, only to find when the door opened to her knock that Patrick Staunton had preceded her. This time he was even more offensive than before and threatened her with bodily harm if she ever dared to interfere again. Mrs. Richardson, now convinced that some serious mischief was afoot, went to the police. So, officer, I came straight to you. I'm sure something is going on in that house, and that whatever it is is harming my daughter. Uh, and just uh, what is it you think may have happened, Mrs. Richmond? Uh, Richardson is the name. I don't know what is going on. As I, as I told you, Mr. Patrick Staunton refused to let me either enter his house or his brother's. Why should he do that unless he wanted to hide something from me? Uh, tell me, madam, did you get on very well with your son-in-law? Uh, Louis Staunton? No, I, I did not. Mm. And I think you said you were daughter wrapped that she did not want to see you anymore. Yes, she did. But that was some time ago. Uh, well, now, uh, what would you say now, Mrs. Robertson? Uh, Richardson. Uh, oh, so sorry, uh, Richardson. Uh, wouldn't you say that in the circumstances it would be quite natural for them to refuse you admittance to their house? Officer, uh, Inspector, whatever you are, my instinct is never wrong about these things. And I know instinctively that my daughter is in trouble. Well, the best I can do then, madam, is to promise to keep an eye on the Staunton family and let you know should anything come up that's out of the usual. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's all I can do. And uh, now, if you'll excuse me... If I'd ever known the police in this village were so inefficient, I should never have bothered you. Good day. Uh, good day, Mrs. Uh, Rich, uh, Rob, uh, Richardson. Unfortunately, village police are so used to dealing with village gossips that when a sincere person such as Mrs. Richardson comes along with a rather unlikely story, they're apt to treat her and her accusations with scepticism. It will surprise both the police and Mrs. Richardson to know that at the moment when this unsuccessful interview was taking place, Harriet Staunton was a prisoner, a starving prisoner in Cherry Cottage. <laughs> the relationship between him and Alice Rhodes. In any case, Miss Rhodes was not as careful as she might have been. The more money Louise spent on her, the more her love for him grew. If she was away from the neighborhood for more than a few hours, she would send him long and passionate letters, fervently reminding him of her adoration. Though absence parts us for a while and distance rolls between, believe whoever may revile, I'm still what I have been. It was thus that she ended one of her letters, the one that Harriet Staunton discovered Harriet had a turbulent scene with her husband. Now, Louis Staunton did not like scenes. He wanted life to be easy, and at the moment it was far too noisy and complicated. With great confidence, he went to see his brother Patrick. Pat, it's, it's all got a bit too much. I can't stand the rows that are going on. Can't you suggest any way in which I can be free to see Alice whenever I want to? There's only one way I can suggest, Louis. Leave Harriet. But it's her money that keeps Alice to me, Pat. 
If I left Harriet, I'd be broke. I can't think of a way out. Harriet won't even allow Alice inside the house now. Louis, why not let Harriet come over and stay with us? It couldn't then be said that you were leaving her. She's always complaining about lack of company, so she ought to be pleased to stay with us for a while. Pat, it's, it's a grand idea. I'm sure we could make her come. Then, I, then I'd have more freedom. That's right, and you could come over quite often. But you wouldn't like her here, Pat. She can be the most maddening person. I don't think you'll be able to stand her for long. No, I think we can manage her, Louis. Anyway, the important thing is for you to be happy. You know, I'd do anything in the world to bring that about. It's grand of you, Pat. Uh, but I insist on paying for her keep, though. Well, instance, I wouldn't dream of such a thing. But of course, look, I'll pay you a pound a week to keep her as a lodger. <laughs> All right, if you insist, a pound it is. <laughs> So Patrick took in his brother's wife as a lodger for a pound a week. This curious arrangement did not work very well. For one thing, Harriet was continually trying to leave the house to go in search of her husband. Now, Patrick didn't want his brother worried, so he had to keep doors and windows locked in whatever room Harriet was using at the moment. But still, she made a nuisance of herself. Like so many painters, Patrick found it quite impossible to work without complete silence around him. And while Harriet was in the house, he seemed destined to have only noise. impossible to paint with that screaming din going on. Isn't there any way we can have some peace? I told you that's crazy to have her in the place. Why don't you send her back to Louis? She's his wife. Let him take care of her. I can't do that. Louis is as much right to be happy as anyone. Really, Pat? You're so soft about that brother of yours. No, Liz. Don't say anything you might regret. All right, all right. Let's do something about Harriet. What about the attic? I could shove a mattress up there. No, she'd just go on screaming. I've thrashed her three times today and still she goes on. Well, put her in the attic anyway. There's no way of escape from there, so at least we won't have to look around locking the doors and windows all day. And I will think of a way to keep her quiet. She must be pretty strong to bang and shout like that all the time. Perhaps her lungs wouldn't be quite so lusty if she had her food cut down. Not only was Harriet's food cut down, it was cut off altogether. She was kept in a filthy room in the attic with very little air. It was not long before her strength failed completely. She was obviously very near death. None of the local doctors had seen Harriet, and Patrick was worried lest a death certificate should be hard to come by. The last thing he wanted was an inquest. Of course, there would have to be a funeral, but naturally he didn't want Mrs. Richardson to hear about that. In view of all these circumstances, it seemed eminently desirable that Harriet Staunton should die somewhere else than in Patrick's house. But where? It was finally decided that Penge should be the locality. Penge, a little town on the borderlines of the counties of Sussex and Kent. Louis and his sister-in-law, Liz, went to explore the locality. They found what they thought were ideal lodgings and paved the way for Harriet by having a chat with the landlady, a Mrs. Quist. You see, Mrs. Quist, this lady is not a very healthy person. Oh, bless you, I've taken care of invalids before. I'm glad to hear it. Harriet is indeed an invalid. As relations, we feel very anxious to do all in our power to make her last days as comfortable as possible. And you see, Mrs. Quist, the doctor that's been looking after her hasn't got our full confidence. We've heard that there are some good doctors here in Penge who will know how to treat a paralysis case. Oh, bless you, yes. We've some wonderful doctors here. We'll take care of the poor lady for you. I'm afraid she hasn't long for this world. Oh, and there's one other thing. Her illness sometimes makes her delirious. 
She says things against the very people who love her most. I thought I ought to warn you so that you wouldn't pay any attention. Oh, the poor soul. Don't worry, sir. I'll take good care of her. And so Harriet was moved to the lodging house in Pent. Even the landlady, prepared as she had been by Louis' description of the patient, was shocked at Harriet's appearance. Her body was alive with vermin, and her skin resembled more the bark of a tree than human flesh. Patrick Staunton called in a local doctor on the same evening that Harriet came to Penge, but the case was hopeless. Harriet died within 24 hours. It seemed to Patrick and Louis that the burden of this woman's life was now lifted forever from their shoulders. Actually, Harriet Staunton was to prove far more troublesome dead than alive. Where are you taking me now, Pat? I've come across a bit of a difficulty, Louis. We must make some inquiries. Well, what's the trouble? The fool of a doctor has given us a certificate. Did you read what he put on it? He says Harriet died from cerebral disease and apoplexy. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? The certificate's all right. It's just what we wanted. But it has to be handed into a registrar. Well, isn't, isn't there any register in Penge? That's the trouble. There are two. I don't know which to go to. Well, let's toss a coin for it. No, you don't understand, Louis. You see, the lodging house where Harriet died was almost exactly on the borderline between Sussex and Kent. There are two registers in Penge. One for the Sussex side and the other for the Kent side. Now we have to find out which one to go to. I thought we'd ask at the chemist over there. Well, that's no difficulty. Nothing wrong in asking a question. Here we are, then. Do you want to go on the road? No, there's someone in there at the moment. We'd better wait until he comes out. Oh, nonsense. What are you so nervous about? There's no harm in what we're going to ask. Come on. Sir, lovely day, isn't it? Uh, what can I do for you? Uh, this other gentleman was before us. Doesn't he want to be served first? No, no, it's quite all right. This gentleman's waiting for a prescription to be made up. Oh, I see. Well, I wanted to ask you about the handling of a death, a death certificate. I don't quite know which register to go to. The lady was staying practically on the borderline of the uh, uh, counties. I see. Well, uh, it should be quite simple. Uh, was she a resident in Penge? No, no, she only came recently from home, in Cobham, Kent. Well, then, I'm pretty sure that the right registrar for you will be uh, Mr. Bain. Who knows? Perhaps if the village of Cobham had not been mentioned by Louis, no trouble would have occurred. But by one of those coincidences that would outrage the reader of a novel, but of which life is full, the customer waiting in the chemist shop happened to know someone who lived in Cobham. In fact, his sister-in-law, Harriet Staunton. Yes, this gentleman had married Mrs. Richardson's elder daughter, and he knew all about the trouble with the Thorntons. His mother-in-law had often expressed her fears for Harriet, and when he heard the name, he pricked up his ears. He went further. He got the name of the doctor who had given the death certificate and went to see him. As a result of his interference, the thing the Thorntons feared most was brought about. There was an inquest. The inspector in charge of investigations, Inspector Thomas, was not quite sure of his ground. He talked it over with his superior. Uh, you see, sir, the doctors haven't found any organic disease sufficient to account for death. There was a small tubercular deposit in one lung, but they say it was of no importance. We've had an expert from London down here, and he states there is no trace of poison in any of the organs. And yet I'm still convinced that she was murdered. But how do you think it was done, Thomas? Well, that's just what I don't know, sir. I've never seen a body so emaciated as hers was. If it didn't sound so incredible, I'd say she'd been starved to death. But the maid at Mr. Patrick Staunton's house, where the deceased lived before coming to Penge, 
says that she was treated as an honored guest. Did you search the house? Uh, no, sir, I didn't think it was necessary. Mm, might be worthwhile, Thomas. Have a look at the room she was using. She might have left some diary or letters behind and try to find some people in Cadham who saw Harriet Stunton before, or before she was brought to Penge. They might have noticed something on the ordinary. Uh, right, sir. Uh, thank you very much. Inspector Thomas didn't find any diary or letters. The Saunders had made quite sure that all Harriet's belongings were burnt. But what he did see made such documents unnecessary. One glance at the attic room in which Harriet had starved made it quite clear that whatever her position in the family, she had not been treated as an honored guest. A filthy mattress lay on the floor. The window was boarded up and the door had been fitted with a bolt on the outside. These facts carried great weight with the jury at the inquest and a verdict of willful murder was returned against Patrick and Elizabeth Staunton, Louis Staunton and Alice Rhodes, two brothers and two sisters. Such was the popular feeling in the district that the trial was moved to London and took place at the Old Bailey in September 1877. The offending counsel, Mr. Edward Clark, presented his case in a very unemotional manner. Members of the jury, I want you to divorce from your minds for the present any feelings of indignation that the prosecution might have inspired in you. For the task on which I am about to embark is, I say it myself, an extremely difficult and extremely technical one. The defense is that Harriet Staunton died from tubercular meningitis. Now, members of the jury, you've probably never heard of this disease. Indeed, it is one almost unknown to the ordinary member even of the medical profession. But I am going to attempt to present all the known facts about it to you. For I am certain that the death of Harriet Staunton was due not to poison, not to starvation, but to this relatively unknown disease. Now, first of all, I would like to make a few general observations. Mr. Edward Clark's speech to the jury was long, technical and brilliant. It was generally thought that had he been alone with the jury, he'd have succeeded in convincing them. But the judge, Sir Henry Hawkins, gave one of the most deadly summings up ever known in the Old Bailey. Indeed, his speech might better have come from the lips of the prosecuting counsel, and its effects were inevitable. All four prisoners were sentenced to death. It was then that the letters began to pour into the Home Secretary's office. <laughs> October the 12th. Dear sir, regarding the scant attention paid to the expert medical opinions in the trial of the Stauntons, I would wish to state my conjecture. This memorial, signed by 700 medical experts, with Sir William Jenner at their head, to the effect that the facts as stated at the post-mortem point clearly to death having been caused by several... Morning, that you are to reopen the case of the Stauntons. I feel sure that when the full facts are presented... The result of the new inquiry was that the sentences of Louis and Patrick Staunton and Patrick's wife Elizabeth were commuted to penal servitude for life, while Alice Rhodes, who stood to profit most from Harriet's murder, was granted a free pardon and immediately released. It seems that from the purely legal point of view, the paying of a pound a week to Patrick and his wife for the care of Harriet placed them under a special obligation to prevent her from starving. Consequently, their guilt was, in the eyes of the law, greater than Louis or his young lady. And so, 
the case of the two inseparable brothers came to an end. Callous, yes. Brutal and ruthless, yes. But there remains their outstanding love for each other. Patrick and Louis, who, when the sentence of death was being passed on them, forgot their womenfolk entirely and clasped each other's hands for mutual encouragement, thinking only of the great love which ironically made their savage crime possible. I'll be back again soon to tell you some more of the secrets of Scotland Yard. Meanwhile, this is Clive Brook saying goodbye and pleasant dreams. and enjoying our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Please remember to leave us a review and to follow us for frequent releases.